Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Today, digestion. I mean, this is one of the keys for your, how your body regenerates, and we're going to get into it. Now, um, it's going to be played uh, live on Facebook and YouTube tonight as well, and on the Dr. BVIP, man, get on there. The censorship is going crazy. I mean, it looks like uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter, so maybe there is going to be some bastions of free speech. But on these media channels, there's still censorship. So thank you to everyone who's going to the Dr. B VIP. And figure it's only 29 bucks a year. And that helps us produce some of the videos. So thank you if you're supporting that. Really appreciate it. This past weekend, we, um, I was on Extreme Health Academy for two hours on a webinar. And we're going we're gonna to do something on Dr. B VIP, uh, starting a 90-minute class. And this is going to be on anatomy, physiology, neurology. We're literally going to have this class once a month. Um, to get everybody up to speed on how they can take care of themselves and their family. Now, one of the things you might be thinking, um, if we had uh, a herd of buffaloes as sick as Americans, where half are going to get cancer, uh, 25% have bowel disorders, why? Is it because we don't have enough money to spend on health? Or is there high stress? Or what's the deal? Well, I encourage you to get the book, The Real Anthony Fauci, um, by Robert Kennedy. And it is mind-blowing how we have a pharmaceutical approach to health. That's it. No one's looking at environment. No one's looking at the medication industry no one, because they're supporting and they're paying our government. And they bought the media. So this is... There's, it, it, just get the book. It's super enlightening. And you can also see why the censorship um, has to go on. Because i got to tell you, if they stop the emergency, if uh, all of a sudden somebody declares the pandemic is over, uh, you got liability on the shots and emergency authorization. All of those emergency authorizations uh, will go down the toilet. So they have to keep the panic up. Um, but <laughs> get that book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Now here, let's start off with hiatal hernia. Now this is also called the great mimicker. And, and you're looking at everything from heart palpitation, shortness of breath, pain in the chest, everything. Now what happens is you've got a diaphragm, and it's a dome-shaped muscle. In fact, it sits right on top of the liver, right on top of the stomach and right underneath the lungs and the heart. Every time you breathe in, that muscle contracts and it pulls down, drawing air into the lungs. When you breathe out, that diaphragm comes up and forces the lungs, the air out of the lungs. So this diaphragmatic movement, and now the diaphragm is innervated by an area inside of um, the neck and it's called C3, C4, C5, keeps you alive. And so if you have a neck issue, that diaphragm's not going to work right. Now, you've got the esophagus that literally pierces that diaphragm. And that's one of the four holes inside of there. The other two are for the psoas, then you have one for the aorta, and the um, inferior vena cava, the vein, blood going down, blood coming back. But the esophagus... And this is the food tube. The tube that food trades down goes through this opening. Now, um, when we look at this, and we're going to cover 
diverticulitis. We're going to cover everything, but just hiatal hernias for now. Um, when you look at this, the most common cause in the medical world is unknown. What it really is, is that lack of nerve supply, lack of integrity of the diaphragm. So the stomach literally starts pooching up inside of that opening. And that's why they call it hiatal, because the hiatus of the, hernia, of the stomach is like the big round part of the back that literally starts to poke up through this little opening. And now the way the stomach is laid out, it's full of acid. So there's a muscle on top of the stomach called the lower esophageal sphincter and a muscle on the bottom called the pyloric sphincter. Now these muscles tighten up to keep acid. Now there's so much acid in the stomach, it is amazing. In fact, it will literally burn a hole. It'll melt a nail. It'll burn a hole through wood. It's amazing. Now, you might say, well, if the acid's that strong, how come the stomach doesn't digest itself? Well, because there's cells inside of the stomach. You've got chief cells that produce pepsin. You've got um, these, these hydrochloric acid cells that produce literally hydrochloric acid. They're called the parietal cells. Then you have these goblet cells that produce this mucus. So in reality, the stomach is digesting itself. It's digesting this mucus layer that's always being replaced. So it, it's a great design. And I, I love the, the way the parietal cells work. How can a cell produce an acid so powerful that it will digest itself? You want to know? Okay, one, it's in two parts. And never the twain shall meet except outside of the cell. You got one part that spits out a hydrogen atom, one part spits out a chloride atom. So you get hydrogen, um, uh, hydrogen chloroxide outside of the cell, HCl. And this is hydrochloric acid forms outside of the cell. And this is so powerful, it's designed to break down meat, bone, anything. Amazing. Um, so when we look at this, those cells have to work in harmony. Now you've got sensors in the stomach um, that sense presence of acid. Now this is huge. When you're looking at hiatal hernia, we've got to look at how the system actually works. So when you eat something, there's stomach acid that, that builds up, and all of a sudden the sensors in that stomach tighten up that lower esophageal sphincter, um, leading um, to the stomach acid being maintained inside of the stomach where it can handle it. Because if that stomach acid gets up into the esophagus, it starts to burn. And it can burn horribly. This is where they call it heartburn or reflux. Now, the reason hiatal hernia and reflux are so linked together, hiatal hernia has to do with a problem with the neck or the insertion of the diaphragm. But also, if you're drinking water during meals, you're diluting that stomach acid, um, that then the sensors inside of the stomach aren't going to recognize it. So it's essential if you've had reflux, if you have a hiatal hernia, the solutions are very, very similar. Where you drink no acid, no water, a half hour before a meal, no water during a meal, and no water a half hour after. And this is huge um, because that water or liquid will dilute the acid. Now you can have little sips of, of you know, some acidic beverages like coffee, tea, wine, beer, but you don't want to dilute the, your, your breakdown of the food that well. 
because how the entire system works is you're alive because you get the amino acids from the proteins, fatty acids from the fats, and usable sugars from the carbohydrates. Now, this is vitally important because carbohydrate digestion begins in the mouth. This is why when we tell people that you should chew your juice, that's because mainly juices are um, plants. And plants are mainly composed of fibers and carbohydrates, some fats. But if you chew that juice, that's going to start to stimulate the breakdown, the amylase production, so you're breaking down the carbohydrates. Uh, and then protein digestion, where you're getting the amino acids from the proteins, begins in the stomach, or, or start. it mainly occurs in the stomach. It actually begins in the teeth with you grinding it up. And, and then that's where you get the amino acids from the proteins. However, if you're in a chronic state of stress, you're not able to get those amino acids uh, because you're producing less stomach acid. So this is why you look at physical, chemical, and emotional stress to see um, if your body is producing healthy amounts of stomach acid. And then fats, to get the fatty acids from the fats, that occurs right after the stomach in an area called the duodenum. And this also involves the liver. So under chronic stress states, that liver starts to develop sludge. And, I mean, it's so beautiful when you look at how the system works. You, your blood lasts uh, 120 days max. And that blood is sent to the spleen. The spleen sends that blood off to the liver to have the blood proteins broken down into bile so that you can use that to emulsify fats. Now, the gallbladder stores and concentrates bile. Um, the problem is, if you're an animal species under chronic stress, let's say you're in prison, let's say you're tortured, your body's going to produce stress hormones like cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline, all of those things. And, and that those stress hormones have to be utilized in the body, but there's no off button for them. So once they're excreted, they have to be utilized. Then they're put back into the spleen, shoveled off over to the liver, and then they're um, mixed in with that blood. And this is where gallstones come from. They come from stored, uh, concentrated stress hormones because the gallbladder stores and concentrates that bile waiting for amino acids or fats to hit that duodenum. And then the gallbladder secretes uh, emulsifying those fats. I mean, just it's such an amazing system. This is why your body is so good at surviving from the Arctic to the desert. Now, when this system breaks down, though, you're in deep trouble. Like, let's say that you're drinking water with um, your meals, and you start to develop reflux. Well, if you have a doctor that's really not smart, um, th that they give you a proton pump inhibitor, and there's a very, very powerful drug to decrease the acid. Well, in, again, this is why I want you to read the real Anthony Fauci book, because a lot of medical doctors aren't paying, um, giving you therapies that are based in anatomy and physiology. They're giving you a pharmaceutical approach. Well, if you decrease the stomach acid uh, by using a proton pump inhibitor, it actually loosens that muscle on the top of the, top of the stomach, the lower esophageal sphincter, and acid can splash up into the esophagus increasing your risk of adenocarcinomas of that, um, of that esophagus. 
and I know it's it's crazy because the doctors will say, well, if you have reflux, you can increase your rate of cancer. No, if you use this drug, you increase your rate of cancers. Uh, if you have reflux, it's your body telling you that there's something not working right. And if you have reflux, so where's the problem? You got three things that could be, or four things. Reflux and hiatal hernias are going to come from physical, chemical, emotional stress. That's one. We're just talking stress. The other one is drinking water with your food, not masticating it. Okay, that's two. The other is a neck trauma causing an altered nerve supply to the diaphragm, so the top of the stomach and the lower esophageal sphincter is poking up through that diaphragm. And a fourth one is that insertion of the diaphragm. So if where that muscle attaches, it attaches to the bottom of the ribs and the, the vertebrae. Now, if you have a big deviation or trauma in the past from the rib cage, that rib cage is not going to be really good. So that's called the insertion is a problem. So when you have a hiatal hernia, when you have reflux, those are not problems. They're alarms telling you that there is a problem. Okay, and that problem is going to be coming from physical, chemical, or emotional stress. The physical stress is going to be um, identified on an x-ray, and the chemical stress is going to be identified if you can't sleep, you have one bowel movement a day. I mean, uh, amazing. Now, when you've got to look at how the stomach actually works. Now, let's say, and I'm going to give you a really quick fix for the hiatal hernia. Now, remember, you've got to go after the core. You've got to fix the neck. You've got to fix the whole body. You've got to increase the stomach acid, not drink water. But let's say that you all of a sudden get that, that attack. So what you're going to do, okay, and if you're driving, don't do this now, okay? Pull off to the side of the road, make sure it's safe, okay? Um, you're going to be sitting up. You take your left fist and ball it up in, your left hand, ball it up into a fist and put it underneath the rib cage on your left side. Now your right hand is going to go over the top of your fist. Now you're going to breathe in. When you breathe out, you're going to push both hands into that left side, not the side of your body, but in the front, in the front, right? Kind of like, like uh, your nipple region going straight down right there. Um, when you blow out, you push in with your hands and pull down. So it's in and pull down, and pull down fairly hard. This is literally grabbing some of the organs and creating a negative pressure on it, pulling that stomach down. Now, you can further correct the problem with a hiatal hernia by practicing diaphragmatic breathing. Just diaphragmatic breathing, because most people will breathe like, if, if I say take a deep breath in and your chest comes up and your tummy goes in, you're breathing like a sick American. If you take a deep breath and your chest doesn't move, but your tummy comes out and you blow out, your tummy comes in, then you're breathing diaphragmatically. You're breathing like a human. So look at all our videos on diaphragmatic breathing. Absolutely essential to correcting this. But it's also diaphragmatic breathing is going to help the lymph tissue. Isn't it weird that the closer to how you're supposed to live, the healthier you end up getting? I know, I know. Eat what you're designed to eat, and you get healthier and stronger. 
So that adjustment, that, that hiatal hernia adjustment, you could, a chiropractor can do it. If you're doing it while you're laying down, I'd recommend having your, your knees bent. So this will relax some of the tummy muscles. But that diaphragmatic breathing, that hiatal hernia adjustment is absolutely incredible. It works really, really good. Oh, and if anybody says that, that stomach ulcers, ulcers come from helical pylori, uh, they don't, okay? And, and I've been around since before they discovered this, um, this bacteria inside of the gut. And when, when you think about it, it's a super acidic environment inside of the stomach. And we have more bacteria, four times the amount of bacteria than you have cells in your body. So we are a bacteria, a virus, fungus, parasit machine. And without those, those symbiotes, those, those additional um, life forms, we wouldn't make it. So we, we have to get along with these life forms. That's what's made our bodies survive so long. So helicopylori is a bug that lives inside of the stomach acid. Now, if you have decreased um, or if you have chronic stress, those little cells that produce the mucus, the goblet cells, won't be producing the mucus. And the acid that your chief cells and parietal cells are producing can irritate that stomach lining, giving an opportunity for this bacteria to go for it. Now, 85% of peptic ulcers are, uh, some people will say, are from helicobyloris. Um, the problem is, when you're looking at, at helicobyloris, that's normal flora in about 90% of the world's population. So this is not abnormal. So it's not that, mm -hmm. that the bug causes, and again, this goes on terrain theory, Okay, the bugs don't cause it. Germs don't cause the disease. You have to have a weakening of the terrain in order for the bugs to uh, proliferate. Okay, so you have to have stress decreasing the stomach acid or direct trauma altering that stomach acid production and mucus production to allow this bacteria that's normal in about 85 to 90% of the world's population. And I gotta tell you, if it's normal in about 90% of the world's population, it's probably normal in 100%, but they just really haven't found it yet. Now, diverticulitis, because we're zipping through, okay, we got um, reflux, hiatal hernias, diverticulitis. Your intestinal tract is a muscular tube. That's right, it's a muscular tube. And the, in fact, the digestive tract, you have an opening at the mouth, you got an opening at the anus, and so it's literally a tube that connects the outside to the inside. Uh, it's amazing. Now, this has a peristalsic wave where it's, where it's like a, an undulating wave that moves food through this intestinal tract. Now, if you have compromised nerve supply to this intestinal tract, um, then the food, instead of being pushed down, it's going to start to put an outward or lateral pressure in that. And if there's constipation, poor diet, um, change in flora inside of the intestinal tract, like let's say you're eating uh, commercially produced bread that's, that usually has glyphosate, which is a natural antibiotic. 
let's say you take medications because you think that's good for you. Wow, okay, so this can damage the gut flora too. And I'm talking Advil, Motrin, Aleve can damage the gut flora. I mean, obviously antibiotics, but just any kind of medication can damage that gut flora. And what that does, that can weaken the wall. And so a diverticulum is just a outpouching of the intestinal tract. So what does it come from? Okay, it comes from compromised blood supply or nerve supply to that intestinal tract. And think of every time that you're in a stress state, your body takes blood supply from the intestinal tract and puts it to the arms and legs so you can run away from danger. Um, every time you're in a safe area, that, the, that blood goes from the arms and legs back to the core and then you can start to digest again. So you can be in a stress state or growth or repair state. Now, if you, again, think of this, you got compromised nerve supply to the intestinal tract. Diverticulum is coming out. Diverticulosis means condition of. Diverticulitis means it's inflamed. Now, if you have an inward pouching, it's called a polyp. Now, for years, years, and this goes goes on uh, medical science, how the wheels grind slowly. If you figure for over 500 years, they would treat syphilis with mercury because um, it was also called quicksilver. In fact, quicksilver was a great antiseptic for a lot of different conditions. The problem with mercury is that it's very, very neurotoxic. It's like the second most um, toxic substance on the planet. So how long did it take for the medical world to stop treating infections with mercury? About 500 years. Um, bleeding, cutting the veins to get the bad blood out, and you know, because that's where all the disease comes from, that was practiced for over 1,000 years. So how long with this pharmaceutical approach? Hopefully people get wise and we only have it for a couple hundred years. Um, but the doctor's advice um, forever was don't eat nuts and seeds. Now, and this, again, it's, it has no basis in science. People are just, you know, d doing um, uh, rote. They're not thinking common sense. So there was finally a study in 2008, and this was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. 47,000 men who participated in this study showed that consuming nuts, popcorn, not only didn't it increase the risk of diverticulitis, it found out that it lowered the risk. It turns out that if you eat hard stuff that's hard to digest, that muscular tube has to work harder. So it actually has a benefit. Oh my gosh. Now, if you're wondering, should you get a colonoscopy? Because you get a, a medical doctor, again, the medical doctors are not trained with critical, therapy, um, critical thinking. They're trained in a pharmaceutical approach. Um, so let's look at colonoscopies, okay? Um, and this is, let's look at the risk benefits, okay? Now, the absolute risk of developing colon cancer, and this is based on a Western diet, and I'm talking the worst diet on the planet, okay, where it's processed, packaged, uh, devoid of metabolic and digestive enzymes, preserved, there's no healthy nutrients. Um, that's about 2.5%. So that means you have a 97.5% chance of not developing colon cancer. Now, yeah, I know, 97%. So why do they give every person over 50 a colonoscopy? Well, let's look at it. 
For one, serious complications occur in minimum five per thousand procedures. That means you can damage the heart, the kidneys, the drugs they give you. Now, when biopsies or polyps are removed, there are more serious complications. Uh, perforation of the colon occurs about one in every thousand, and to prevent one death from colorectal cancer, 1,250 people would need to have a colonoscopy. So think of that, okay? It, it, it's not good. Um, the Journal of Medical Screening, this is 2001, uh, number needed to treat, okay? And that's, that's really what you need to do. So like uh, to prevent one death from breast cancer, you need to screen 780 women. Now, if you're doing a therapy or a, a diagnostic procedure like mammograms, you're actually damaging people to prevent, um, so you're damaging 781 people to prevent one death from breast cancer. To prevent one death from colorectal cancer, you gotta check 1,250 people. Now, knowing that there's damage five per thousand, you're preventing one death, but you're causing damage to at least five. <laughs> if you're not good at math. So I'm not a big fan of colonoscopies. So what can you do? You can do a fecal occult blood test if you're curious. You poop in a bag. If they find some blood, okay, then if it's fresh blood, it could be hemorrhoids, more than likely. If it's black blood, it could be an upper GI bleed. And a lot of people have had gut trauma, bowel trauma, drug trauma. And so it's important to see what that can do. But here's another problem. If you go in and get a colonoscopy, okay, not only do you have a 1 in 250 chance or, or um, uh, 1 in 1,000 chance or 5 in 1,000 chance of doing some damage, but you're disrupting the gut flora. Now, because you're taking a drug that's supposed to clean out the intestinal tract, and this is um, uh, it's polyethylene glycol. It's, it's horribly toxic to your system. Now, if you disrupt the gut flora by doing this, you can increase your risk of colon cancer 3,200%. And, and this is called gut dysbiosis, um, constipation, IBS, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, all get worse if you damage the gut flora. So not, not a good idea. Now, leaky gut. Leaky gut is something we see on almost every x-ray. Um, uh, the majority of people, because if you have a good, healthy, plant-based diet, uh, you sleep good, and you don't eat any processed foods, we're probably not going to see an abnormal intestinal tract. What you are going to see, though, and this is the coolest thing, like if we were still had access to the um, human dissection lamp, there's a structure called the greater omentum, and it hangs down from the bottom of the stomach. And this omentum migrates around to any area of the intestinal tract that's damaged. It surrounds it and heals it. It's a, just a big curtain of fat and blood. It's, it's the, the coolest thing you've ever seen. And so your body, when we were doing human dissection, uh, you could even see this surrounding one of the cadaver's intestinal tract um, while the person was still alive, it was trying to heal it. It was still doing healing. And some of the old guys that, that I learned from, they told me in World War II, if somebody had a badly burned hand, they would actually cut an opening in the abdomen and put their hand in there, wrap it in the greater momentum, and sometimes it would regenerate the skin, which was 
preferred to losing your hand. I mean, it was just amazing. Now, knowing that we're correcting uh, a lot of things, like uh, inflammatory bowel disease, you have to rebuild the gut. Okay, you have to deal with the stress, the physical, chemical, emotional stress. Um, now, knowing that the gut has probably got increased intestinal permeability when you're talking about IBS, you've got to heal the gut. So that means dealing effectively with the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. If you've dealt with those effectively, okay, that means that your body is in a normal autonomic balance, and that is the key to correcting inflammatory bowel disorders. Um, also, moist heat on the tummy, because that's going to start to rush blood to the air. Building up your gut flora, and this means um, healthy plant-based mineral supplement, fermented foods from multiple different varieties. This means kombucha. This means, I mean, all sorts. If you do have a leaky gut, you've got to eliminate grains and dairy for a little bit. It takes around 30 to 60 days to heal the gut. But you have to get um, out of the stress. Because remember, reflux, hiatal hernia, IBS, none of these are diseases that are attacking you. They're all adaptations to physical, chemical, and emotional stress. So hugely important that you address the actual cause and not the adaptations. Now, all of this stuff and more, because tonight we're going to talk about being uh, vigilant with what is um, happening with our country. Um, I know you've heard that the mask mandates are, have been taken away on travel. Uh, let me tell you, there was no law passed that said that the government can't do it again. And this is a power-hungry grab. Uh, they're doing all of this release before the elections, after the elections. Once um, we pass the laws, the government's going to come in and restrict again. So I'm going to give a lot of education on what, um, what you can do to prevent the takeover of our country and also to assure your freedoms. This is Dr. John Bergman, your health advocate. God bless you, and I love you.